Super Talk Mississippi media production. Running a business is tough. If you're struggling with HR benefits and payroll, you're not alone. Many businesses just don't have the resources to keep up. That's where MWG Employer Services comes in. We provide a full range of employer services with everything from payroll to benefits to HR services and compliance and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. We're a Mississippi-based company that can help you focus on what you do best, growing your business. Call MWG Employer Services today at 601-206-7966 or go to MWG Employer Services You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Yo, it's a Thursday afternoon. That feels like it should be the start of the weekend, but it's not quite the start of the weekend. we got to wait one more day for that. Regardless, we are glad to be with you. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV in the Pearl River Resort studios. Pearl River Resort is the home of the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club. Yep, this would be one of those days where it would be really nice to be at at, uh, at Dancing Rabbit, whether it is on the Oaks or the Azaleas, 18-hole championship courses, they both are. And uh, you can book a tee time. You can plan your trip online at DancingRabbitGolf.com. Alongside Michael Borky, I'm Richard Cross. Brian Haydad off today. We can only imagine the debauchery in which he is engaging on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Nah, not debauchery. Just just good old clean fun for Haydad. Wouldn't you think? Yeah. Nothing too crazy. Maybe a little poker. Probably drinking a little beer in the daytime. Eating some good food. That's uh, that is that is my guess for for Haydad's activities over the course of the weekend. I'm still like I want to sit down because I know how to play poker. I, mm-hmm. I know how to do it, but I know how to play blackjack, and I know there are some things that like more seasoned pros at the blackjack table don't like you to do. And I've, I think I've figured those things out. With poker, I don't know what those are. And I'm worried that, like, I'll be the guy that does something that the table doesn't like. And you know what I mean? And so I, I've I've not yet gone down the road of playing poker in a casino because I'm afraid of being that guy that ruins the table. Or, like, does something that is frowned upon or, or breaks an unwritten rule. You know, I, I step on the, on, on the foul line or something like that, you know? I, that, that's what I'm afraid of. And so I've never done it, and I've wanted to do it, and I've never done it. Well, I think it's different from from blackjack, though, because in blackjack, all of the players are playing against the house. Right. When you're sitting at a poker table, you are playing against the other players at the table. Yeah, but there's still, like, you know, unwritten rules of stuff like that, or, or like, what if I do something that, that disrespects my opponent unintentionally? Well, and when there's when there's money sitting on a table, it's a little bit different than than anything but, else. But, you but know? you're playing against them. I mean, let me remind you of the the great line from the movie Rounders: 
If you can't spot the sucker in your first half hour at the table, then you are the sucker. And they like you being there, Borky, if you are the sucker. Yeah. But, you know, you got to respect your opponent. You know, you don't don't want to be Tennessee baseball with your middle fingers up rounding the bases, you know? You ever watch the World Series? All the poker? Yeah, man. That was like my, my childhood guilty pleasure. I loved that. Yeah. You can get disrespectful guys all over the place. They're, they're what kind of makes it spicy. Man, I, I miss watching that. that. That's when ESPN was great. You know, when they, when they didn't have live sports, it was either Sports Center, NFL Live, or, or a replay of the World Series of Poker. Yes. With, with Phil Hellmuth and Doyle Brunson, all mm, those guys. Mm. Phil Ivey. It all changed when Chris Moneymaker won the bracelet. Chris Moneymaker, yes. I mean, and aren't all those guys still? I think doesn't Doyle Brunson doesn't he still play? Yeah, I think so. At at, at his age, yeah. Uh, Dwayne and Brandon says, "Borky, it's not like Doc Holliday will be playing. Nobody's going to shoot you." Uh, Jimbo says, "In casino poker, irritating the table is actually part of the game." Oh well, good to know. I'm going to do it one night. I'm going to drive over it one night. I'm just going to drive over to Pearl River Resort and, and just go play poker and just see what happens. You should enter one of the tournaments. They do the you know the Philly well, and Millie tournament or, or one of those. Just enter I, a tournament and go play. I would like to get a little experience under my belt before I drop you know what it costs to enter those high stakes tournaments on participating in one of those high stakes tournaments. Yeah, but okay. So the thing with that is you're buying in. You've got a certain number of chips until you can play for a while until your chips run out. When you sit down. At a poker table, like just in the casino, you're betting your money on every hand. Right, but I, I am, like even in a casino, I have no problem like being fiscally responsible. Like I, I, I have been to a casino, I don't know, a dozen times in my life and gambled every time, and I've never had that go-take-more-money-out moment. Like I, I've, <laughs> I've never had that. And I've only walked away a winner once. Yeah? It was 80 bucks. At- Tunica? When you were in college? Uh, down, down on the coast, actually. Okay. Man, I, I won't you, say you his name. You never made a Tunica run when you were in oh, college? Oh, we did. I just never won in Tunica. Uh, I won't say his name because I think he listens, but my first my, my first time ever walking into a casino in my life was a night when the bars closed, we got in the car, one person didn't drink, and, and drove uh, an Escalade full of people. We had, I think, 12 people in that <laughs> SUV and drove to Tunica, and, and we walk in. And I had enough time to go to the, like, we walk in, I went to the bathroom, got a drink, sat down at a blackjack table, and one of the guys I rode there with, in that period of time, his button-up shirt was, like, buttoned, like, three or four buttons down, he's sweating, and he sits down next to me and has his hand in his face, and he goes, Borky, I just lost $350. We've been here 10 minutes. What did you do? I mean, he's sweating. He's mad. That was my first casino experience. So I think that scared me a little bit. But he was sweating. It's like we've been here. I had enough time to go to the bathroom and get a drink, and he already lost $350. Wouldn't tell me what he lost it on either. Did he, like, walk up to the roulette table and go two spins and went black, black, and it was red, red, and it's like, geez. That's the only explanation I can come up with. Yeah. Uh, That's it. But uh, (laughs) that was my introduction to casino life. And they did give us free food. That was nice. That was mm-hmm. same night. But we were there like four hours. I lost like 75 bucks, I think, on blackjack. <laughs> I knew how to play blackjack. I had an app on my phone that I would do when I was bored, so I got the game. 
And so, I, you know, I, we sat there for like two hours, and I only lost like $75, which felt like a win. You know, I'm sure at Mississippi State, because of the location, Pearl River Resort, you know, either the Golden Moon or the Silver yeah. Star, was the place where students might, you know, after a night out, decide, hey, let's make a run to the casino. It's actually probably a little bit shorter drive from Starkville to, to Philadelphia than it was from Oxford to Tunica, but there was always that night where it would come up in the conversations like, hey, can I make a run to the boats? And it didn't always happen, but occasionally it did. And usually when it did, that meant you saw the sun come up the next morning, which is... That is the best, man. I don't know if that's the best or not. That that can be a, a difficult drive home. I, I haven't done anything like that in, in such a long time. Uh, you know, I'm a dad. Dad shouldn't do this very often. But, man, that feeling of, of walking back to your hotel as the sun's rising over Bourbon Street, and they're, they're clean, they're, I mean, that I miss that feeling. It, for some reason, it was such a sense of accomplishment. It's like, boys, we made it. I've, I've never done that in New Orleans. Oh, never man. Have. I've never, it's never been a sun comes up in New Orleans kind of. There have been a few late nights in New Orleans. I've never been a huge New Orleans guy, and there is not one fiber of my being that has an interest in seeing the sun come up <laughs> in New Orleans because I didn't go to bed. Now, maybe I woke up early and decided to grab a cup of coffee and yeah. go for a walk on Canal early in the morning, <laughs> and I see the sunrise. Okay, but in terms of, you know, staying yeah. up and doing it, Jimbo says give him a call. He'll make the run to Philly if you ever want to go. Buddy, as long as you make sure that I don't step out of bounds, but... Uh, the, the amount of trash. Jim will take care of you. I know he will. He'll take care of me uh, fishing as well. That's right. Um, which I need to take somebody. I haven't been real fishing in a long time. Like the bass ponds near my house, That's not. I, I'm talking like catching a big bull red or, or something like that. I haven't done that in a long time. But y- you would be surprised. So Bourbon Street's disgusting, right? It's a, it's a horrible place. I love New Orleans. I hate Bourbon. It's, it's disgusting. The, the amount of cleaning that they do every morning would blow your mind. And it still is in the state that it's in. I'm talking mountains of trash bags that just line the streets. And so when you're walking back to your hotel, like there, there's a couple other stragglers there. But that's the thing I remember most besides the sunrise and the sense of accomplishment was, I can't believe they clean it like this every night because it never looks or smells like they clean it like this every night, but they do. I've I've gotten to the point where I don't go in anywhere on Bourbon Street. I mean, there might be the occasional slip into the piano bar just because it's what you've always done. Yeah. But I always make a lap. Like when we were uh, when we were there for the Sugar Bowl, what a year and a half ago. All my family went to sleep. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go for a walk. And I walked from the hotel and, you know, made a lap down Bourbon Street and came back. And I'm just like, why? Like, it's people watching. I don't need an albino python in my life. No, or um, somebody slapping you on the behind trying to get you to come inside their establishment, you know? I don't need a contact high from walking down Bourbon Street. (laughs) And it's like you're going to get that. Yeah. I like that, though, when I'm in a big city, though. We... uh, we went to New York at Christmas. Everybody went to sleep, and I like put on my coat, and I was like, I'm just going to go walk around in Times Square for like an hour, 
Then I came back and got in bed, and you know, That's new awesome. day starts the yeah. uh, the next day. But I don't know. Love to love to see the sights. Maybe not so much partake in the uh, uh, the local activities. We got a bunch of sports to get to. Sports Talk Mississippi coming up with you next. You're hearing Sports Talk Mississippi. What? What? This is so awesome on Super Talk Mississippi. Hey, Borky, how do you like my new hat? I can't tell what the logo is. All right, so I think I like it. So that looks kind of like a like a New Orleans voodoo-y minor league baseball logo, doesn't it? Yeah, that's exactly what that looks like. All right, so that logo is for a women's clothing brand called Newburn. Oh, nice. So, you know, Jane's got a store on the square in Oxford. They're doing a uh, like a, a trunk show designer in the store this weekend with the brand that they carry, Newburn. Uh, they Newburn's based out of Baton Rouge, women's brand. It's kind of out there, kind of edgy, a lot of pink. It's like uh, Jane's store kind of looks like the Barbie Dreamhouse today. Um, so you might be going, eh, have I heard of that? You have, you have heard of that. So Martha Gottwald is the uh, the designer for Newburn. It's, it's her company. She is the one who designed the kind of loud outfits and blazers that Kim Mulkey wore in the Sweet 16, oh. the Elite Eight, the Final Four, and the National Championship game. The, the feathers and the sparkles and the pink and the bright and all of that good stuff. It's kind of a crazy story. That was originally just supposed to be a runway piece. And somebody that knew Kim Mulkey spotted it, and they're like, she's got to wear that for a game. And so Martha ended up kind of being her stylist for uh, for that run. I, Borky, I don't think it's stuff that would look good on you, but I, I thought it was a cool hat that I grabbed when I was Well, if I ever want to draw the tension away uh, from the people... Um... You can't argue with her, though. She won it all. She did. And she's won it all multiple times at multiple schools. And I don't have to like her. When, you know, when, winning does not. It's it's funny. It's people do that same thing with like rich people. Oh well, they're rich, so I don't care. I don't have to like wealthy people. No. Uh, like, uh, may I introduce you to Dan Snyder, who's six billion dollars richer today, and a terrible person. Speaking of wealth and generosity. This is like this is not sports related, but it is Mississippi State related. Did you see the news that came out earlier today? I mean, this probably has been in the works for a while, but Mississippi State was the recipient of a transformative gift. George and Kathy Bishop, George Bishop originally from Smith County, Mississippi, who Got an engineering, a petroleum engineering degree from Mississippi State. I think graduated in 1958, and went on to found a uh, a really successful oil and gas company in Louisiana, and then in Texas, has uh, made a hundred million dollar gift to Mississippi State for scholarships. Next time I see George, I'm going to ask him to you know slip a few bills my way. But um, in the meantime, that is incredible. 
It really is. And it's pro- based on, and Forbes' estimate of net worth sometimes are, are off a little mm-hmm. bit, but th- that's an incredible amount. Regardless of how much you have, mm-hmm. when people charity shame, it drives me nuts. It's, you know, $50,000 is $50,000, regardless if it's LeBron James or not. You know, it's, it's that amount of money. It's always yes. nice. But that's like a line item on their on their tax returns, man, with how much money that, that he's acquired. But still, that is unbelievable. Imagine being able to write a $100 million whatever you want to call it, check, donation to your alma mater. Yeah, it's incredible. The ability to do that is awesome. I did have a friend text me, though, and say, $100 million, and he couldn't sling at least one to NIL? <laughs> yeah, everybody was like, hey, how much of this is going to uh, going to NIL? Um, but incredible generosity from George and Kathy Bishop, and this is for, uh, this is for scholarships. This is for education. Uh, it's for recruiting students, it's for retaining students, and it's also there's some focus on uh, creating opportunities for students, particularly in Mississippi, who might not have the otherwise have the opportunity to uh, attend college. Um, the majority of the money is focused on Mississippi students going to Mississippi State. Uh, he was the founder, George Bishop was, of uh, Geo Southern Energy back in 1981, grew to become one of the largest privately held producers of oil and gas in the country. What's remarkable, this was not the first gift. Back in 2018, George and Kathy Bishop made a $10 million gift to Mississippi State. Their philanthropic relationship with Mississippi State really only started in 2015. So over the course of eight years, they've given $110 million to Mississippi State. It's incredible. And it's, it's, it's fantastic. You know, not to be cheesy, but the cause is awesome, too. I mean, you know, there's such an emphasis placed on higher education in society, right? It's just how it is. Uh, although... Trade schools are, are making a comeback, which is a good thing also. But uh, the fact that somebody can now go to college when they otherwise couldn't because of this is awesome. Always awesome. Yeah. it's uh, It really is incredible. So um, kudos to, uh, to the Bishop family for their incredible generosity, and congratulations to Mississippi State for being on the uh, the receiving end of that. It's just absolutely incredible. Um, yeah, Jim Barksdale do that for uh, for Ole Miss. It created the Barksdale Reading Institute, and uh, there's been a lot of stuff that's done that. So uh, over the course of a couple of decades, two and a half decades, you've seen um, two individual $100 million gifts to schools in the state of Mississippi, and it's uh, it's incredible. Dwayne and Brandon says, did Richard say he's wearing a woman's clothing logo hat? Uh, yeah, Dwayne, that's exactly what I said. And I make no apologies for it. My wife owns a women's clothing store. And, oh, by the way, it's a cool-looking hat. It's just a solid navy blue hat with a cool logo on it. Yeah. So Yeah, just supporting the cause, man. Guerrilla marketing is what they call it. There you go. There you go. Yeah, the so PGA Tour got mad at for your wife to make her happy. Be sure to stop by and see Jackie. See, there it is. There you go. Yeah, the PGA Tour got really mad at the no laying up guys for for guerrilla marketing uh, a few years ago when they were really getting started. They've mm-hmm. stopped it now, but uh, fans of what was then just like a blog, right? And now it's like a full on website and brand and huge golf media company. But people would wear the no laying up logo and stuff and try to get in camera view. And apparently that made the tour mad because they weren't paying to, and they thought that they were 
purposefully sending people, but it was really just fans wearing the gear at sport at, at, at tournaments. But anyway, yeah. you're just doing that shamelessly. You can uh, you can be a part of the conversation on the ceasefire text line at 601-879-4395. Give your business the edge with gigabit fiber internet from ceasefire business. Backed by world-class IT experts who live where you do. That's right here in Seaspire country. Check them out online at seaspire.com slash business. Michael Borky, you have told this story before. You, unfortunately, have attended a game at Oakland Alameda County Coliseum. And the home of the Oakland A's. That is a storied franchise when you go back to the 80s and 70s before that. That has fallen into, it's a franchise that has fallen into a state of disrepair in a city that has fallen into a state of disrepair. People say Bay Area and Oakland is part of it, but when people think Bay Area, they think San Francisco. They don't think Oakland necessarily, and yet Oakland is very much a part of the Bay Area, and it looks like finally the Oakland A's have had enough They are tired of playing games with the city of Oakland. They are tired of playing games with the mayor. They have asked for and asked and asked and asked and begged for a new stadium. They have not gotten it, and so now they are going to a place where they are going to get a new stadium, and that city is Las Vegas. Man, Vegas, I remember back when uh, Vegas started this whole we're going to get pro sports teams thing. Mm-hmm. And the take around sports media was, well, that's a shame because they don't have like any locals that live there that will embrace the teams. It's just going to be fans of other teams and, and stuff like that. Uh, the hockey team is incredibly well-supported locally, and the Raiders, despite being an atrocity, are also well-supported locally. Same thing's going to happen here. Vegas is a sports city. It just is. And it, this is not surprising at all that the attendance numbers – which isn't the end-all, be-all, I suppose, but nobody goes to games. They get routinely under 4,000 people at Major League Baseball games. The Cubs are in town or were in town. Only two, 3,000 actual butts were in seats for yeah. the A's Cubs. It's, it's, it's untenable. It's unsustainable. And I was reading something earlier about that, and, oh, it's a shame that owners are greedy and stuff, and, and I get it, and they are, but in this case... How can you blame them? It's not like the Rams, when they moved from St. Louis, they were well-supported in St. Louis. You didn't show up. It'd be different if like, they had a great fan base that really cared. Yeah, But they don't have that. And so I can't blame the team for wanting to look elsewhere. They'll get support in Vegas. There's no doubt. There's a lot that's iconic about the Oakland Athletics. Yeah. Uniforms at the top of the list. Those solid white uniforms with the green hats with the yellow bills, the Kelly green uniform that they wear as an alternate, the road grays with the solid green hats. I mean, those are are iconic Major League Baseball uniforms. But it's been a really long time since Oakland has been competitive. We'll be back. Sports Talk Mississippi. Started today. Sports Talk Mississippi. Super Talk Mississippi. Oh, my. 
for the first time today, let's go to the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Luke Johnson joins us right now. He is co-host of the Super Talk Eagle Hour on Super Talk Hattiesburg and Super Talk Laurel. A big series coming up this weekend for the Southern Miss baseball team. They are on the road in Conway, South Carolina. Left early this morning, going to start a three-game series tomorrow against Coastal Carolina, the Chanticleers. And, Luke, this is kind of what we've been waiting for, right? The, the anticipation, especially in baseball, about being in the Sunbelt Conference was about this, right? It was it was about facing really good teams in high-leverage series. It kind of has an old Southern Miss rice feel to it, although different geographic part of the country. This is fun, man. It really is, and that, that's exactly how I would describe it. I mean, you almost wish that that a Coastal was was in the West uh, because uh, you knew you were going to get this with Louisiana. South Alabama's uh, a little off this year, but, I mean, you know, Texas State, a uh, great program. But, but, yeah, as far as it feels like these are the two powers, and so both of them having a great year RPI-wise. And so both top 25 – uh, both uh, top, you know, so there's 21, so it's effectively top 20 RPI teams, and it's the battle for the for the first place in uh, in the Sun Belt. So it's what you want, um, and and so uh, I think you know, apart from that first time they've met, uh, so there's just a lot of unique stories, and and exactly this is this is what you wanted um, in a top five uh, you know RPI conference in the country in baseball. I was looking at the the pitching matchups, and look, Coastal's a good team. They're a good team at home, um, ranked as high as number eight. But when you start looking at Tanner Hall against Matthew Potok in game one, um, Hall's numbers are better. Billy Oldham against Jacob Morrison in game two, Oldham's numbers are better. Not sure who Southern's going to start on on Sunday for game three. I I don't know if that'll be Nico Mazza, what direction they'll, they'll ultimately go, but... It does feel like, at least based on numbers, there's a little bit of an advantage for Southern Miss here this weekend. Well, part of the reason that the Coastal has won so many games, and, and like you mentioned, you know, you just look on on paper with their pitching staff, they got a six one eight ERA as a staff. But when you look at what they're doing, I mean, offensively, fourth in the country in scoring, right under uh, ten runs a game, nine point eight, sixth in slugging percentage, eighth in total runs. They're batting 318 as a team. Um, I don't know if you've looked at their uh, their statistics, but man, they have the killer bees. They have seven dudes on their on their team uh, with the the last name B. It's like a law firm. You can just rattle them off, and they're all batting 300 plus. You know, 67 home runs. So even though their team ERA is high, it's been because they have they have scored a lot of runs, and so. It's, that's what the key is going to be. I mean, Southern Miss is not going to outmuscle Coastal Carolina, uh, but they got to play clean baseball on, on, on defense. And kind of what I'm what I'm looking at. Uh, we talked to Chad Kaye today uh, and, and talked to uh, to Joe Katz, who's the play by play voice for for the Chanticleers yesterday. And, and kind of you know what came up out of those is you saw what James Madison the approach they took against Tanner last weekend. And you wonder if that's going to be the approach that people take from now on against him, swinging very, very early in the count. And uh, I think that, that Coastal poses more of a challenge because they are so powerful at the plate. 
It's a great ballpark, too. They play in Springsbrook Stadium. It opened in 2016, I think, uh, which was was that the year before, the year after? I guess it was the year after they won the national championship. And it's I was there for a regional a few years ago. It's incredible. They've got the teal outfield wall, and they've got this really cool boardwalk that goes all the way around the outfield. That's a really good environment. And, uh, you know, in terms of capacity, it's kind of comparable to, to Pete Taylor Park. A little over 5,000 uh, is what they can squeeze in there. And, and they care about baseball. It, it it really is crazy, Luke, when you think about it, to realize that this is a team that won a national championship in baseball. It, it's rare, right, that, that we see a team like that, that that rises all the way up and is able to, to take the trophy at the end of the year from from a non-Power 5 league, but it's also kind of what gives you this hope and optimism, I, I would think, from a Southern Miss perspective. I mean, never mind the fact that two teams that you're competitive with in your own state have won national championships in recent years, but also a team that you're now a conference mate with um, in this, this new-look Sun Belt has won a title in the not-too-distant past. Yeah, so they did win it in 2016. And, and just going back to Chad Kaye, who's you know been the SEC last couple of years, um, he, he made the statement that that Coastal, that, that's the perception, is, is that Coastal is just like Southern Miss. I mean, that, that's, it, you, will, you will not find two programs that, that they're very, very similar for, for a lot of reasons. Coach Gilmore's been there, you know, close to 30 years. There's been longevity in both positions. There's been uh, regional appearances, of course, uh, Coastal winning it all. Um, but, but, yeah, it, it, it is, they are remarkably similar in, in a, lot of, a lot of ways. And for them both to be in the same conference with so much on the line this week, I, I think, uh, I think you guys may have said it earlier in the week. I mean, it's the Southern Miss chance uh, to, to take the, the steering wheel back on, uh, you know, a season where you kind of look and you feel like they may have been down a little bit. But here they are. I mean, still knocking on the, the door to possibly to host if, if they take care of business. What did you make of the D1 baseball projections yesterday that had Southern Miss as a two seed in Gainesville? I mean that's how the Eagles got to Omaha the first time, so I guess bring it if if, uh, <laughs> if it works out that way. But but yeah, there'd be a whole lot of storylines going into that one. Uh, that one for sure. Um, yeah, I, I think it's it's fun to project, um, but the the way that the, the Sun Belt baseball is is kind of what we saw in basketball too. Yeah, Coastal and Southern are at the top, but man, there's a whole bunch of good teams like one game back, two games back. And you kind of feel like uh, it still may go down to the wire, and, and it, you know you you may have uh, a regular season champ go down, and and I think this is a, I mean I think very easily this is a lock for a three team bid, and possibly a four team depending on what happens down the stretch. Well, I'm I'm glad you said that because that's what I was going to ask you next. I mean, how many teams do you think when it's all said and done, we get to Memorial Day? from the Sun Belt are announced as participants. Obviously, you've got the, the automatic qualifier for whoever wins the tournament, but after that, it's who else? Yeah, I mean, Georgia Southern's down. They're in the top 75, but they're down. Louisiana, you got to hope they kind of finish uh, a little stronger. They're at 64, but, I mean, Old Dominion at 48, Troy at 35, and then Southern and Coastal. So um, it, it depends on what happens, uh, you know, what some teams do to, to boost the RPI. They did have as many as, as nine teams kind of in the top 90. And, and, of course, this is a dynamic that Southern Miss has never had before with the RPI is that they've never really had the opportunity 
um, to, to play a team with this high RPI mid, middle of the season and to basically not their, their conference. They'll get hurt when they play Archie State and, and a, a few of the midweeks. But, I mean, the opportunity relatively to hold RPI uh, a little better than what they were able to do in Conference USA. Are you concerned about the midweeks, the, the midweek losses? Um, the Alabama was bad. I mean, Tuesday night, what, you had nine teams in the top 25 that got beat? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, Southern Miss is three and five, but I, I think they're at a place that they can't afford to lose the Tulane coming up. Tulane's just the RPI is so so bad. Um, but but it with, with the loss of Matt Adams, you're kind of what putting all your stock in the weekend, uh, and and that's why you know Armistead only threw three innings. Uh, he was the guy that when you moved Oldham to the weekend, you felt like he'd be your your midweek starter. Well, he's got to be long relief. And I think that's probably why you are a TBA on Sunday. Do they go with Maza? Uh, do they do they do they start Armistead? And I think it's going to be. Do they have to use Armistead in long relief either on Friday or Saturday? Hopefully not on Friday. Tanner will be Tanner. But but yeah, to, to your point, it's it is kind of where you are right now. You're three and five, but you are still winning weekend series, and so that's far more important. Do you know anything, any updates, any whispers that you've heard about Matt Adams in terms of prognosis? Same stuff. I mean, what you know, what we're being told. I think Coach Perry told y'all too. It's just a rehab, and it's really you know a timetable on Matt. See how he feels and how he responds to treatment. Okay. Well, certainly for uh, Southern Miss, we'll hope that that means he is back on the mound in the not too distant future. Big weekend coming up. Game one, five o'clock Central. Uh, tomorrow, you, uh, of course, will uh, get that on the Southern Miss Radio Network. And then, how do people watch that? Is it ESPN Plus? Yeah, everything Sunbelt, ESPN Plus. That's the beauty of the Sunbelt. There you go. So you'll be able to watch this weekend from Springbrook Stadium in Conway, South Carolina, just up the road or down the road a bit from, uh, from Myrtle Beach. Thanks, Luke. All right, Richard. Y'all have a great week. See you later. You as well. Luke Johnson from the Eagle Hour. You can catch that every day in uh, Super Talk, Hattiesburg, and on uh, the Laurel Station for Super Talk as well. Of course, uh, of course, it's available online at supertalk.fm as well. More coming up. We will uh, wrap up the three o'clock hour with you when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi. From the flatlands of Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi. Every minute worth waiting for. Super Talk Mississippi. Wrapping up the 3 o'clock hour with you. It's Sports Talk Mississippi. Richard Cross and Michael Borky. No Brian Haydad for the rest of the week. He will rejoin us on Monday. 
Ceasefire text line is open at 601-879-4395. Hey, don't forget, Sports Talk Mississippi is brought to you in part by M-Trade Park. You can find them online at mtradepark.com. Now, the real joy is going to the facility. All of their baseball and softball fields have turf infields, natural grass outfields, so unless you're dealing with lightning, play will continue. Great facility. The maintenance is outstanding. They've also got soccer fields that are just pristine. Uh, just a ton of soccer fields, as far as the eyes can see. They've added some new concession options. They've got uh, a team store on site where you can buy souvenirs and uh, and get M-Trade Park gear. Be sure to check it all out. If you're involved in scheduling your team, whether you're talking about baseball or fast pitch or soccer, be sure you check out the website, mtradepark.com. If you're going to play, play M-Trade. So, okay. I, going back to our conversation about the A's moving. Yeah, that's that's exactly where I wanted to go. I, I'm curious as to what's next because, based on everything I read today, this isn't the only thing happening in Major League Baseball in terms of teams and locations and number of them. The A's are moving. Nobody's surprised by that. They're going to get a billion and a half dollar stadium right off the strip. No-brainer. But we also got reporting last week that Mm -hmm. Salt Lake City is preparing to put in a bid or whatever the process is to get an expansion team. So they're not just adding one. So if Salt Lake City is anticipating being in the running for an additional Major League Baseball team, that means another city will also have to be at least one more, would have to be in the running for a Major League Baseball team. And my thought was, well, who else is preparing to to get involved in the process to get an expansion team? It's Nashville, right? That's where I thought. Nashville's growing like crazy. But what would the Atlanta Braves think, and what could they do? Because the Braves have a foothold in the Southeast. They do. I mean, this area, if you're a Major League Baseball fan, you're likely a Braves fan. The minor league team is here. Braves are Cardinals for the most part if it's a regional team. Yeah. I mean, the the Birmingham market airs Braves games. In places like that you don't think of, like Chattanooga, if you want to be a Major League Baseball fan in Chattanooga, guess who's closest? Braves. Well, what happens if Nashville gets a team? And what could could Atlanta put their foot down and say no, because Nashville would take some fans to whatever degree it is from the Braves. They would. We know about the crazy growth in Nashville because it's you know that's a place that a lot of us go on a fairly regular basis. Cranes everywhere, everywhere, everywhere in downtown Nashville. I mean, there's construction. Everywhere, it's incredible. Traffic's ridiculous, the whole deal. That's what happens when you've got growing cities. Haven't I read recently that Salt Lake City is the fastest-growing metropolitan area in the United States? Wouldn't surprise me. Beautiful, clean city. Tons of outdoor offerings within half an hour. You know, that, that Park City, Deer Valley area is like... 35 miles from the Salt Lake City Airport. So, avid you can sports go. fans in that state, too. Yeah. 
Gosh, do yeah. they support their teams, man. I mean, look at home games at BYU and Utah. Look at how the Jazz are supported every night. Charlotte? Another possibility? The big growing city. Already multiple professional sports franchises there. If they could expand on or renovate the minor league stadium downtown, then they've got a perfect location. Yeah. But again, what would Atlanta think about that? And what could they do? Because we've seen like other in other sports, owners facilitate or put their foot down when it comes to movement. We see that in college football a lot as well. But in baseball, how does that work? I mean, I don't think Atlanta would necessarily like it, but I think they would have to live with it. I, I think there are people that would remind the Atlanta Braves that are like, hey, we've got two teams in the city of Los Angeles. We've got two teams in the city of New York. We've got two teams in the city of Chicago. Yeah. We have two teams that are woefully supported, separated by four hours in the state of Florida. Dallas and Houston have teams. Now, I know all of those areas are, are bigger, and it's like, but 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 I don't think you get to grab hold of the, you know, it's really always been this, and we've kind of had a stranglehold on this, and therefore nobody else should be able to come in. I don't think that's good. And I think you might end up with, like, a cool rivalry. That would be fun. I mean, Baltimore probably didn't want Washington, D.C. to get a baseball team a few years ago. They did. You got Nats fans and you got Orioles fans. There's a little bit of crossover, but not a lot, and they seem to be able to support both. Sports Talk Mississippi continues. Welcome back, Sports Talk Mississippi, rolling into the 4 o'clock hour on this Thursday. We've got a couple of SEC games that are happening tonight. Georgia and Arkansas get started, so to South Carolina and Florida. And to talk about that, Ted Cahill joins us from Baseball America. You can follow him on Twitter at Ted Cahill, C-A-H-I-L-L. Teddy joins us on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. So we start the second half of conference play tonight, Teddy, and uh, we look around the SEC, and there's some things in the first half that are surprising. There are some things that are shocking, and then there's some things that uh, were maybe as expected. Give me on the positive side, and then we'll do the negative side, your biggest surprise of the first five weeks of conference play in the SEC. I mean, I think that's got to be Kentucky at 10 and 5. Uh, you know, South Carolina maybe has uh, some argument here. Uh, but I, I wouldn't have been surprised if South Carolina was, uh, you know, competing at a, a decent level in the SEC East. But for Kentucky to be 10 and 5, number one in the RPI and, you know, facing a very, you know, straightforward path to not just making the NCAA tournament, but hosting a regional uh, halfway through the, the, SEC play, I mean, that, that to me is uh, is the biggest surprise. What's Kentucky got to do to be a top eight? I know it's a little early for that conversation, and their schedule has got plenty of landmines between now and the, the end of the SEC tournament, but is there a path there in your mind? 
Oh yeah, absolutely. The uh, the RPI to this point is uh, very much leaning in their favor, and I think it's probably more straightforward to top eight than a lot of people have realized, or maybe I'm just a little slow to realize it myself. But I think that really what they've got to do to assure themselves of a host, I think, is just win six more SEC games. I cannot imagine a team. So their their RPI is almost certainly going to finish in the top ten to top eight range. Almost no matter what they do from here on out. So if they just win six more SEC games, assure themselves of a winning SEC record, they're going to host. And I don't think it's going to take that much more than that to be a top eight seed because it's going to be hard for the committee to look at a team that has that kind of RPI and that many SEC wins. Uh, their strength of schedule right now is one. Uh, that might fall a little bit, but they're going to have an elite RPI, an elite strength of schedule, and in this scenario, winning SEC record. I mean, that that that's going to be far more likely to be top eight than not. Okay. Um, what would be your 1A positive surprise from the uh, the SEC? Uh, you know, I, I guess I might lean uh, South Carolina here. You know, I, uh, I was a little dubious about their just how – Far the pendulum could swing for them going uh, going forward. Uh, you know, I thought they could be a solid team, uh, a regional team, but maybe not a team competing to host. And that's yeah. definitely what they are right now. And Ethan Petrie, you know, from an individual Ooh. level, has been a, a great surprise. Uh, you know, he was good, he was a solid recruit, but he was not a guy that I had pegged as a potential SEC freshman of the year. Yeah, sitting on 18 home runs at the halfway point of league play and. I mean, they can just hit. I, I had one of their games earlier this year against uh, against Georgia, and um, they've got five guys, Teddy, with double digit home runs, and that includes Will McGillis, who did it in twenty three games before the the hand injury. And assumingly, they're going to get him back at some point. I mean, they can hit one through nine in that lineup. Yeah, it's it's really impressive. Now, obviously, their ballpark is uh, is a more offensive one, and they're built to play in it, and they take advantage of it. But it's yeah. still, I mean, it's uh, it's a deep lineup, like you said. Uh, they all swing it for power. It's uh, it's been really impressive. I, I've seen some guys talk about the impact that Monty Lee has made. Uh, you know, coming over as a, as an assistant coach and helping them kind of refine their approaches. Uh, and the the proof the proof is definitely in the results. Like they're right there at the top of the home run leaderboard and. Uh, it's a it's a dangerous lineup that that can get on you real quick. Monty Lee, who of course was the head coach at Clemson, was let go. Eric Patchick, uh, Backich got that job from Michigan, part of the uh, coaching carousel uh, from uh, a year ago. All right, what about on the negative side? Biggest uh, biggest surprise first half of the season on the negative. My, I I think I know where you're going to go with this, but I'll be interested to see. I think it's got to be Tennessee. Um, oh. They were they were number two in the country in the preseason, pretty much universally. I think actually universally, and now they're five and ten, and they just lost a midweek at home to Tennessee Tech, and we're all wondering is this a team that's going to be able to recover and make the NCAA tournament? Uh, I think you were probably expecting me to go Ole Miss, and uh, maybe I've just made my peace with Ole Miss. The the Tennessee hmm. thing might be fresher, but but right now I'm saying Tennessee. Is Tennessee going to recover? You know, I still, I guess, first of all, it depends on what you mean by recover. They're not, I don't think this is a team that's going to get back to looking like the team we expected them to be. I think that that is, uh, we, we just were all wrong about that. Um, can they make the tournament? I think yes, still, but it's, uh, it's not easy. The second half 
is tricky, and they're going to have to play a lot better. I mean, this is a team that needs to play 500 ball in the SEC from here on out, and it's also a team that's been swept twice in the SEC. So uh, they they have to they have to clean some things up. Uh, you know, both from a literal like defensive standpoint, but also just from a uh, they have to find a way to grind out some results in a way that they haven't been able to to this point. Teddy, you've got some you got some marquee series in college baseball um, this weekend. Uh, obviously, a top ten matchup between Florida and South Carolina. Ole Miss, to your point uh, a minute ago, not what anybody expected that they were going to be this season, and yet there's still some intrigue with LSU and Ole Miss happening in in Oxford this weekend. But there's one that that we've talked about that really catches my eye, and it's happening in the Sun Belt with Southern Miss headed to Conway to take on Coastal Carolina, top 25 matchup, two teams that are in the running to be hosts. This has got a chance to be really good baseball this weekend. Yeah, I think this is a really fun one. Uh, it's two of the top three teams in the Sun Belt, uh, Louisiana Lafayette being the, the third. They are tied with Southern Miss just a game behind Coastal. But I think Southern Miss and Coastal are the two best teams in that league, uh, ULL's win at LSU notwithstanding. Uh, I, I I like the fact that they're teams that are coming at it from different ways. You've got Coastal, which has ranks fourth in the country in scoring. It's a deep lineup. They uh, they really know how to put runs on the board, and uh, they're going to be difficult to slow down. But Southern Miss has the best pitching staff in this league, and uh, it might not be what it was a year ago when it was so special and, and one of the best ones in the country, but it's still a very talented one and if anyone's going to be able to slow coastal down you would think it might be the southern misstep uh the the negative for for the golden eagles is they got to go on the road coastal plays well at home the home ballpark again that that's a team that plays to their home park it plays offensively uh but i i think this should be a really a really fun one friday night's a huge night uh you, you got to get off to a good start if you're southern miss and take advantage of your pitching edge on a friday night uh but i i think this could be a really great series this weekend why is LSU still number one for you, Teddy? Uh, so for me, it's uh, it, it comes down to the the strength of the resume. You look at the teams that they've played, the the wins that they have, and I think that they still have better wins than anyone. Some of that is that they have that series win against Arkansas, and yeah. you know nobody really can match that one. Uh, so that that holds a lot of weight. Kentucky is still a top fifteen uh, series win. It's getting closer though. You know, as Vanderbilt you know, goes out and, and, and beats South Carolina, that starts to be something a lot like beating Arkansas for LSU. Wake Forest is getting ready to run away with the ACC, it seems like, and, uh, you know, they stacked a, a, an important road series win against Louisville last weekend. So I, it's it's definitely getting tight. Uh, Florida has a chance this weekend to, to make a big statement, but right now I, I still like the, the premier series wins. Uh, for LSU and, and Teddy, yesterday we were looking at LSU's remaining schedule, and there, there. I think we will all agree there are no gimmies in the SEC. You got to go, you got to play, you got to play well. But their schedule could not be any more favorable down the stretch. At Ole Miss this weekend, Alabama at home, at Auburn, Mississippi State at home, at Georgia. There's an opportunity there for LSU to really pile up some wins and end up with a pretty gaudy record. Yes, there's a lot of concern right now or chatter about, well, they're just 9-5 and five in the conference and look at all these teams that have better SEC records than them. Uh, 
you know, I, I understand where that's coming from, but yes, if you look at what LSU has played already, like it's better than what anybody else has played. It was very front loaded, and I think going nine and five against that was pretty, pretty compellingly good. Um, now they have to do their part and go win these games against teams in the bottom half of the conference. And if they do that, like, yes, they won't, they, they can't keep winning premier series, but uh, some of the weirdness of their, their conference record would be eliminated. And I think that would help them, uh, you know, just look more like the number one team in the country. I, I think part of the struggle right now that we're seeing is that they've played really good teams. Now they have to prove that against yeah. the bottom half. All right, Teddy, 20 seconds left. True or false, Mississippi State goes 8-7 and seven or better in the second half and makes the tournament? I'm going to say no. I think they face a, a very challenging schedule. Obviously, they're trending in the right way, but for me, it's uh, maybe a bridge too far with some of the, the challenging series left on that slate. Teddy, always appreciate your time. Enjoy talking baseball with you and look forward to catching up soon. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Teddy Cahill from Baseball America, online on Twitter at Ted Cahill, C-A-H-I-L-L. We're back with you after this. Super Talk Mississippi. Introducing to you Sports Talk Mississippi. Our text line 601-879-4395. Some thoughts coming in on the ceasefire text line. I think Southern Miss will not host, but will make the College World Series. LSU will host and go to the College World Series, but they won't win at all. Okay. All right. I like that prediction. Yeah. I'd love to see it. Omaha teams three years in a row. That'd be that'd be awesome. Uh, speaking of baseball, you mentioned it. You asked Teddy. He doesn't think that State uh, will be able to get those wins back. You know I love doing this. There, there's no path for Mississippi State without a series win this weekend, right? Now, and I don't mean mathematically, of course, there's always a chance if you've got the number of games left, but when you look at the schedule, sweeps are going to be really hard to come by for the Bulldogs. Even at Tennessee, despite their struggles, you think you're getting three in Knoxville? I I hope so, because it'd be more fun to talk about, but I, I wouldn't count on that. All right, so so let's do it, right? You, so, so you're saying win one but don't get swept, this weekend. So a series loss to Auburn. Is there still a path to eight remaining conference wins with a series loss this weekend? A realistic path, not sweep everybody path, but one that... Yeah, no, no, I get that. I get that. Um, yeah, it's uh, it has to do with Texas A&M in the final week, though. So so if you lose this series to Auburn, you're 1-2. and two. You're 6-12. and 12. Yeah, yeah, no, but... But let, let's set the five and ten aside and just just okay. go these fifteen games. All right, so you're one and two. You have to win the series at Tennessee. All right, so that gets gets you to three and three. 
You have to get one against Arkansas. So that gets you to four and five. If you get one against LSU, that gets you to five and seven. And that leaves a sweep against Texas A&M in the final week of the regular season at home in Starkville Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. But that so, so to me, that's the path. If you don't win the series this weekend, you have to win the series at Tennessee, and you either have to win the series against Arkansas or LSU, or get one in each of those two weekends and sweep Texas A&M to close out the regular season. And that gets you to 13 wins. Yeah. And history says a 13-win SEC team doesn't happen often. 13's getting in this year. Especially with their RPI, you'd mm-hmm. think so. But still, uh, it's um, that seems like a really difficult road without getting to this weekend. Yeah. I mean, I mean it basically it an big, impossible right? road without getting to this weekend. But I mean, you you ask for okay, what oh, is course, a yeah. what's a reasonable roadmap? Yeah, and I, I I don't think that's like pie in the sky craziness. I think that's reasonable. If you lose the series, how do you still get to eight in the second half and thirteen overall? That's how. That's how. It's not easy. It was never going to be easy with this schedule of games. I mean, look the way you look at Tennessee right now. Could be, heck yeah, there's a chance, or eh, wish we'd played them in the first half, based on what happens this weekend. Because for Tennessee, it starts this weekend at 5-10. and 10. They got Vanderbilt at their place. Tennessee wins that series against Vandy, and now they're sitting at 7-11. and 11. You got a little bit of momentum, and you're headed to their place, and that can be kind of tough, and the ball flies out there, and all that good stuff. But what if what if Vandy sweeps Tennessee in Knoxville this weekend? What if Vandy goes to Lindsey Nelson Stadium and wins all three games and Tennessee's sitting there at five and thirteen in the league? Uh, and Mississippi State wins the series in Auburn and they've won three straight series and they got seven league wins and and you, you you're feeling a little salty walking into that. Maybe a lot salty. Yeah. Oh, and, and the opportunity to put Tennessee out of their misery. Ooh. Yeah, that that would be fun. So we won't do the entire projection. We did that with D1 Baseball yesterday, but here's Baseball America's field of 64. Hosts and some interesting teams. LSU number one overall, Wake Forest number two, with A&M as a two seed, Florida number three, Virginia four, Vanderbilt five, Arkansas six, Coastal Carolina seven, Stanford 8. South Carolina 9. Kentucky 10. East Carolina 11. Texas 12. Oregon 13. Indiana 14. Southern Miss 15. That is two hosts from the Sun Belt. And UConn 16. Ah, man, doesn't that show you the importance of this weekend? Mm -hmm. That's a big one. I mean, theoretically, series win, and I don't think you flip Southern Miss from the standpoint of they go from 15 to 7 and Coastal goes from 7 to 15. Southern Miss could feel a whole lot better about its hosting opportunity, hosting chances if they get the uh, the win. 
So in terms of SEC teams, top eight, you've got LSU, Florida, Vanderbilt, Arkansas. So that's four top eights and then two more hosts. And then other SEC teams in the field, Texas A&M, that would be a seventh team. Um, Is that it? Holy cow. Oh, no, Tennessee would be an eighth. But that, how about that? So that's only eight of 14 SEC teams in the projection from Baseball America in their field of 64. But six of the eight are hosting and four of the yeah. eight are top eight seeds. It does kind of feel like it's a bit of a top, relatively speaking, a bit of, a bit of a top-heavy league compare to, to years past anyway. Vorkia... I think you're on to something. At least at the halfway point. Yeah. I mean, there's... So, if you're projecting a field right now, obviously that's what they do. What What's really your argument for Tennessee getting in at 5 and 10? Nothing. You don't have one. For Alabama getting in at 6 and 9. Mississippi State or Auburn at 5 and 10. Currently, you don't have one. It's, you know, if Alabama maintains that pace, then sure, maybe. If Alabama maintains that pace, they'll be 12 and 18. That's not good enough. No, it's not. I, so, what so, I meant was if they maintain it just three games below 500. Well, sure. Yeah, that's, no, I'm with you there. Which would be, what, 13 and. 17, or 17, and can't even do the math. Three games below 500. 15 and 15 is 500, so 14 and 16. Yeah, it doesn't work out mathematically, but if they they can keep it, a 14 and 16 Alabama team makes the tournament. Yes. But are they going to finish that way? Probably not. Again, I think 13 gets you there this year, but that's the crazy thing, right? So you've got... Vanderbilt's already there. Like, in terms of the SEC, Vanderbilt's in, Florida's in, South Carolina's in, Kentucky's in, Arkansas's in, LSU's in. That's six. With just a little bit more work, Texas A&M is in there, trending in that direction. That's seven. So that's half your league, the top half of your league in the in a regional. The bottom half, everybody's got work to do. You've got Alabama at 6-9, and a lot of work to do. Mississippi State, Auburn, Missouri, Tennessee, all at 5-10, and 10. work to do. Georgia 4-11, and 11, Ole Miss 3-12. And, and when I say work to do, I don't mean a little. I'm talking about a good second half of the conference. A really good second half. Jake on the C Spire text line, is there going to be baseball tomorrow night in Oxford? I don't know, Jake. It doesn't look great. The forecast doesn't look great. Hey, guys, I don't really keep up with much more than Ole Miss and State in the SEC, but is this an unusual year for home runs 
seems like a great number of home runs have been hit, even with those two teams. Yes, home runs are up. Fairly significantly. Ball's juiced. I think or the ball, different. I think the, the ball is a little different, and I think the bats are hot. And because of the pitch clock, guys are having to rush a little bit. And the st- strike zone is tighter. South Carolina leads the country with 88 home runs. Florida's hit 82. Comparatively, Mississippi State's got 66 on the year. Ole Miss has hit 58. 58's not a small number, but that's ninth in the SEC. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be back with you after this. Back to Sports Talk Mississippi. Are you ready? On the Super Talk app, supertalk.fm, and always on your local Super Talk Mississippi station. With you on Sports Talk Mississippi on this Thursday afternoon, Richard Cross and Michael Borky. Sports Talk brought to you in part by Genteel Apparel. You can find them online at genteelapparel.com. Genteel is the official apparel provider of Sports Talk Mississippi. If you're in the Oxford area, be sure to check out Landry's. They've got a great selection of Genteel. The entire spring collection is in, and they've got great-looking new prints. If you order online and you give them an email address, you can save 10% on your order. I would recommend, if uh, if you have to wear pants to work, it's not a joke, Borky. I, mean, like, I, I know you know most everybody has to cover themselves to go to work, but like, if you can't wear jeans or don't wear jeans, uh, you can't or don't wear shorts, or you got to wear pants, then give their... Um, they're lightweight pants. A uh, a try. They are the most comfortable pants I have ever put on. They are super lightweight. They got a bunch of different color options. It's the clubhouse stretch five pocket pant. So it has that kind of jean look in terms of the way the pockets are, are sewn on there, but it's a a far dressier look than that. If you've tried performance pants before, my guess is you've never tried a pair that is as lightweight and as comfortable, a little bit of stretch in them as these are. Uh, give them a try. Uh, GenteelApparel.com. You're going to uh, you're going to love them. I promise. Genteel is the official apparel provider of Sports Talk Mississippi. Two series that get started tonight, Bork. South Carolina, Florida is all kinds of interesting. All kinds of interesting tonight. Yeah, it is. This one's good. And don't you think that uh, if you want to watch it, it's 6.30 Central Time on ESPNU. Founders Park will be packed tonight. I think South Carolina baseball fans have locked. They've kind of yeah, fully they're jumped back, back in. They're definitely back, yeah. as they should be. They're a really good team. Yeah, they do. A lot of good things going for that department right now. It's almost like there's been a little bit of a reset for Ray Tanner. 
There, there were some people yeah. that were ready to see him move on and didn't think that the former baseball coach being the AD really made much sense anymore. Yeah, the baseball coach AD thing in the SEC, you asked people two years ago, is this working? They would have told you no. And and not to do that again. Yeah. But Auburn seemed to have liked what they've seen from John Cohen. And things have settled in Columbia. Everybody loves Beamer. I think that... A lot of success with Don Staley. Yeah, a lot of success with Don Staley, you know, winning championships, all that. Baseball's back. You know, did go to the Final Four kind of recently. Although, he wasn't... Did he hire Frank Martin? I don't know. Either way. But but a lot of good things going right, going well there. One of my official offseason takes, by the way, is that Kentucky upgraded at quarterback with Devin Leary as opposed to Will Levis. Um, here's my second one. Shane Beamer's overrated. Shane Beamer is the Sam Pittman of 2021. I know he beat Clemson, and I know he beat Tennessee, but he also lost to Missouri and replaced his offensive coordinator with a guy who led the NFL's worst offense in the history of the modern history of the league. That is who is now running his offense in South Carolina. I think there's a lot of hype because a lot of people like him, and understandably so, and recruiting's going pretty well. It's got Sam Pittman vibes. Everybody loves Sam Pittman, right? He, he, he seems like a good guy. You know, treats the media well, treats the fans well, does a lot of things right, recruiting well. And then you look at the teams and it's like, you know, there's where's that coming from? And we got that from Sam Pittman early on. Everybody loved Arkansas. And then we saw last year, uh, Ole Miss game notwithstanding, because they beat the crap out of Ole Miss that night. It was a 6 and 6 football team last year. I'm wondering if we're going to get the same thing out of South Carolina in 2023. Everybody loves Beamer. He says all the right things. He does all the right things. He's all about the, the people that make it go. There there's, doesn't appear to be a selfish bone in his body. It's all about fans and engagement and, and promotion, and he's recruiting well. And then you look at the results on the field, and it's like, well, again, he did beat Clemson, mm-hmm. and he did beat Tennessee. But they did lose four games last year. I mean, I think South Carolina under Shane Beamer is a six and six floor, nine and three ceiling program. I mean, I just kind of think that's what that program is. I think Shane Beamer is a he's a fine football coach, and and to your point, seems like a remarkable human being. I said four losses, five losses last year. They did lose the bowl game. Yeah. By the way, I got a text from a Arkansas fan friend that said we won our bowl game. We went seven and six. Uh, the, the, you know, true. That's right. And you gave out championship rings for beating a six and six Kansas team. Uh, so woo oh, pig. Oh, do the wreath. Everybody gets rings for everything. They, they shouldn't. It's a. You're, it, Hayden and I talked about this when you were off. Arkansas people think that their program it, it belongs with the best in college football. If that's the case, you don't give out rings in a six and six bowl game. You don't do it. Hold yourself to a higher standard, or maybe you're not what you think you are. Either way. I'm, I'm, I'm not picking on, on my buddy, Scott, that sent me a message. <laughs> I, I promise I'm not. I, I kind of disagree with you on the rings thing. Like, I just don't care about rings. Give rings, don't give rings, call them a participation trophy, whatever. 
the Ole Miss Arkansas thing is is really fascinating to me because I think largely, maybe even overwhelmingly, Arkansas fans view their entire athletics department. And you might do this with Ole Miss and Mississippi State, but this is kind of specific to Ole Miss because I think Arkansas and Ole Miss are going to continue to play each other if we go to a nine-game schedule. I think that's going to be one of the three permanents. Yeah, because they're giving Auburn a break. Yeah, I think Arkansas fans overwhelmingly view them, their program, their athletics department as superior to that of Ole Miss's. There's no doubt that they and, do. And and if you ask the question why, there's really not an answer. Now, I mean, if you want to say based on 137 track and cross country championships, you could do that. Arkansas fans would point to a basketball national championship. Yeah, when I was four. That that happened in 1994. Oh, excuse me, when I was two. It was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. Football championship is when? Like within two years of each other, like 1962 and 64 or 60 and 62 or wherever it is that they fall. And then there's the matter of a baseball title. I mean... Catch a foul ball. They're That's all kind you got to do. But, but, but the point is, they're kind of the same department, and yet there's this really and, – and I've had this conversation with friends who live in Arkansas or friends who, who cheer for Arkansas. It's like, why is that? I, th- I think Trey, if we talk to him, would admit that Arkansas fans believe that. But I, I would still ask the question, but, but why? Other than – Thank God for Mississippi, you, you know, the punchline that, that, that everybody gives everywhere. What's the, like, the rooted rational reason for viewing yourself in a way that is so different than all this? You, you want to know, I, I thought about that, and I think the truth is because within their borders, there's nobody else. There may be something to that. Even, there may be something to that. Even Alabama has Auburn. You know, despite their dominance, there's somebody else to keep them in check. Yeah, there's another athletics department that absolutely feels that way about not just Ole Miss, but the state of Mississippi. Texas A&M? Yeah. And they, if you want to start comparing accomplishments... <laughs> it's not even close, honestly. It's, it's, it's actually <laughs> like not only... Do you not understand how it is that you would look down on Ole Miss and Mississippi State? It's actually Ole Miss and Mississippi State who should be looking down on you. Yeah, but money. That's where it oh, that yeah, comes from. That, it's just yeah, money. But that's right. That's right. Hey, we've got more money, so it's okay. And an unbelievable I really, really in hope that Arkansas is one of the three permanents for Ole Miss. I think that series is great. Yeah. Despite the fact that Ole Miss has played like warmed over dog poo in Fayetteville for the better part of two decades, you know, with like three exceptions, that series has delivered some epic. I mean, Haydad says it's the best game every year in college football. I don't know if it's the best game every year, but it has delivered some dandies. 
And I think it's low-key one of the best rivalries that you've got in the SEC. It's fun. I, I, I hope that is one of the permanents. We'll be back. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk. Sports Talk. Mississippi. Woo-hoo! I say sports fans. Now, here's more on Super Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi on this Thursday afternoon. Always good to visit. Thanks for being along for the ride. Time for us to go back to the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com from Mississippi Farm Bureau and go with the home team. Again, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Hunter Dawkins joins us. Gazebo Gazette. You can read his work at supertalk.fm. Covers the Mississippi Gulf Coast and the New Orleans sporting scene Hunter, a week from tonight, we got a draft. A draft that the Saints will participate in. Absolutely, my friend. Uh, yeah, thank, thank goodness for uh, Sean Payton being traded uh, to the Timber Broncos and us select getting that 29th pick. However, there's going to be a lot to tell about whether we hold on to that pick or whether we trade up. Because uh, just as you know and I know, Mickey Loomis doesn't necessarily like to sit around if he really wants somebody, and that's what I'm hearing from the radar that they're looking at going inner deep on uh, on trade possibilities. All right, so so what are we thinking? I mean, we, we've talked with you about positions of need. Where do you yes, think sir. that they have zeroed in with seven days until they make a selection? I have heard, and this is just me, but there's also. A number of guys that I'm very good friends with, they're a little more insiders than I am. Jalen Carter is on their mind. The defensive end, the the inner defensive lineman, uh, somebody that can have an immediate impact. And from what I understand, is somebody that both Mickey and and Dennis were pretty high of praise on. And um, the possibility of them trading with the Lions for the sixth pick is given an ever ever movement. It's always the movement capability of the draft. There's there's always possibilities here there, and I'm hearing good good things about that. And if not, trading up ahead of the Cowboys, looking for a defensive end like the, the, the guy I can't remember how do you say his first name, but from Pittsburgh, if you know what I mean, Richard. Yeah. Um, so. Trading with Detroit to six, and and I'm, I'm stuck on the Jalen Carter thing. That that's a, I mean, whew, you're talking about a guy that can play. That, that's a big one, possibility right there. Yeah. So so one, what does it cost you? And two, it's fascinating to me because Jalen Carter's agent has said he's not talking to anybody that has a pick outside the top ten, which is crazy when you think about it. I mean, I understand the statement that they're making. But you've got 20 other teams, or, you know, theoretically 20 other draft picks where teams could trade into the top 10. Yes, sir. Well, the, the also, to back to your first question about giving up, from what I've heard is that we'll have to give up, obviously, the 29th pick uh, in a second rounder, first rounder for next year, and I believe another second rounder. 
I'm not necessarily sure if it's next year or the year after, but that's what uh, what I've heard. Uh, and, and the reason that I think that's the motivation is because the Saints are not exactly sure on who inside of uh, outside of Detroit's pick who's got their their mind and eyes put up on Jalen Carter. And I think that's something that I've heard, you know, greatly, which is the reason why for that that possibility. It's part of what makes the draft so intriguing, right, is everybody holds their cards close to the vest. I mean, it sounds like Carolina is going with Bryce Young at one. It sounds like it. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, you know, what's Houston going to do? What's what's Arizona going to do? What are the Colts going to do? What's Seattle going to do? Yeah, the, this is what I'm actually hearing, uh, Richie. I'm hearing it's going to be Young. The second pick is going to be Will Anderson. Okay. And then – the third pick is then going to be either a Stroud or a Richardson. Now, that's a lot of – depending on who the scenario, who wants the other one worse, Arizona or Indianapolis, that's where you can get into a tug-tug match here there. Yeah. Well, clearly the Colts need a quarterback. Yes. But that's a signal that Arizona is choosing to move on from Kyler Murray. Yes, sir. That's that's always the, the everlasting possibility. I mean, you, but in a way, it's also kind of weird because you see that in Bidwell fired the coach and the GM, so you know that's kind of in question and alone right there. What's what's the better option for them to pick up somebody that can affect them later for later on, or somebody that they need right now? Which you would think that pick would be for something they would need right now. But yeah. that's always open an option. Yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be really fascinating to see. Just just give me a quick thought. Uh, let's say they end up giving up the first and the second. It's you know day three before Hunter we we get to a, sure. a second pick in the draft for the Saints. Where do you think they go uh, down the line? Only got about thirty I'm, seconds left. I'm I'm consider I'm really my thought tells me it's gonna be tight end and linebacker then another defensive end or offensive lineman, somewhere in that the next few picks that they have. And that's uh, that's where it leads from there. Then it's going to be a lot of special team options with running back, uh, receiver, and all the rest. So. All right, we'll see how it plays out. Drafts a week from tonight. Thanks, Hunter. Thank you, my friend. Take care. Hunter Dawkins from the Gazebo Gazette covers the Mississippi Gulf Coast and the sports scene, Saints, Pelicans, and otherwise in New Orleans. You can read his work online at supertalk.fm. We'll be back. Your number one for sports talk. Anyone? 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 Come on, don't be shy. Sports talk, Mississippi. Bingo, man, bingo. Super talk, Mississippi. you on Sports Talk Mississippi in the Pearl River Resort Studios. Pearl River Resort, the home of the sports book at the Golden Moon Casino. You can visit PearlRiverResort.com to keep up with everything that is happening on the property. That's PearlRiverResort.com. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad has the day off, and he will again tomorrow. But we are glad to be with you. Rolling toward another weekend, Mississippi State on the road against Auburn. Three-game series starts tomorrow night. 
Ole Miss at home against LSU. Three-game series scheduled to start tomorrow night. Forecast doesn't look great tomorrow. We'll try to keep you up to date on any announcements that come about Ole Miss baseball. As it stands right now, I'm planning to be at Swayze tomorrow for the show and then uh, have a TV assignment tomorrow night. So hopefully that will work, and uh, we'll get to see Paul Skeen's pitch on Friday night. If not, some kind of a doubleheader, I would assume, on Saturday. That's complicated a little bit by this uh, Morgan Wallen concert that you have been hearing about for months because a lot of the same people that work in security and parking attendance and ticket-taking and concessions at baseball are going to have to work that night at the concert as well, and so I don't know what they're going to do. They're not able to play tomorrow in terms of uh, what Saturday uh, might look like. We are glad to be with you. Love to hear from you on the ceasefire text line at 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. com or your local ceasefire store to get the best in wireless in the state of Mississippi the best in fiber to the home, and the best IT solutions for your business. That's cspire.com. Let's jump into a little college football fix, shall we? College football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. You can test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer today. And don't forget about the SUVs as well. The Explorer, the Expedition, the Edge, you're going to love them. So I love it when Michael Borky gets mad at a list. And he, he, oh, he writes, man. He writes, I mean, bad. bad. The worst quarterback ranking list I've ever seen, ever. He is painting with a big, broad brush. Why, Michael Borky? Are you so mad at this list from 24-7 sports? Because you know what it is? This is helmet bias, is what this is. Ooh. It's nonsensical. It's a post-spring SEC starting quarterback rankings. And oh, okay. as, as, as we go through it, I think you'll agree with me on how remarkably stupid this is. Okay. Number one, K.J. Jefferson. No problem. Man, that's fine. I think he's got to prove that he can stay healthy for an entire season, but the, the skill set's there. I'm cool. Number two, Jaden Daniels, LSU. Won the West last year. Got better as a passer as the year went on, but still not consistent enough. But again, he won the West last year. I'm cool. Number three, Stetson Bennett the fourth. Oh, oh, wait, wait, I'm sorry. Carson Beck, Georgia. Number so, uh, three. I mean... Already, the third best quarterback in the SEC coming out of spring, based on this, is the, we're not even sure he's going to be the starter, Carson Beck at Georgia. They don't even know. They have no idea if he's even going to be a starter, let alone see him actually play in SEC games. You're really telling me, 24-7 sports, that Carson Beck is the third best quarterback in the SEC. Why? Here's why he's got a G on his helmet. That's the only reason. What incredible disrespect this is to somebody like Will Rogers. We've got to get through two more guys before we get to Will Rogers. We know that Will Rogers can play SEC football. We know it. And by the way, if you put Will Rogers on this Georgia team, they'd they'd be 
preseason number one and favored to win every game. So it's not like it takes something special to have Georgia playing well, considering their roster. If this is a postseason list, after we've seen everything, maybe we get to the end of the year and Carson Beck was the third-best quarterback in the SEC. Fine. But but ranking the quarterback position based on spring practice, which, by the way, I mean, we're really digging for... Post-spring. Post-spring practice. We're really digging for content, but okay. It's it's April 20th. Toke up, boys. But, yeah, uh, I mean, I I get list season and and stuff, but... Number four... JM3, Joe Milton III at Tennessee, fourth-best quarterback in the SEC post-spring ranking. Again, I know that the talent is there. There's some Uncle Rico vibes, by the way. He's got a cannon. He can throw it over that mountain over there. We've seen him play against Vanderbilt. Mm -hmm. Played well. Played quite well. It's Vanderbilt. Played well in the bowl game. Played well in the bowl game. And then we also saw him lose his job because he couldn't... To a guy that turned out to be really, really good. He did, but he lost his job because he stunk, not because Hooker was just great. You know what I mean? He was Milton was horrible. And so they tried something else, and then Josh Heupel realized, wait a minute. <laughs> I've got something here. Yeah. Again, I don't understand it. I know that the raw talent is there, but what has he showed you at all that puts him ahead of guys that have had years, in some cases, of starts in the SEC? Number five on the list, to Columbia, South Carolina we go, Spencer Rattler. Spencer Rattler has played well twice. Played really well twice. Clemson and, and Tennessee. He has played well twice. Put his team on his back in those two games. He did. Played well. Played well as a freshman at Oklahoma also. Lost his job as a sophomore, transferred to South Carolina, very average for much of the year, two great games at the end of the season. At least he started. That's he right. was he was a starting quarterback for a year. At least we know Spencer Rattler can beat Clemson. We know he can beat Tennessee. We don't know if Carson what Carson Beck can do. I, helmet bias drives me Number nuts. Number six, Will Rogers who is, I think, the leading returning passer in the Southeastern Conference in terms of active numbers, active quarterbacks, and I don't think it's particularly close. The disrespect. I know he's getting a new system, and we'll see if he can produce in a new system. But the disrespect. And it gets worse. Buddy, it gets worse. This makes Carson Beck, his number three, look like a downright genius decision. Jalen Milrow, Alabama, number seven. Is there anybody that thinks Jalen Milrow is going to be the starter at Alabama this year? So, first of all, he might not even start. Might not start. Second, we've seen him play one time. What was it? Twice. Four? Twice. Uh, twice. One start. One start. Start he, against Texas A&M. It was not pretty. And he had a bunch of turnovers, and they should have lost at home to a 5-7 and seven Texas A&M team. That guy... That guy is. Who was it? What was the game that he played previously? Was it was it against Arkansas, where he had to come in and just ran and just ran and ran and ran and ran and ran. Just ran. Maybe, it made, I think it was Arkansas. Maybe it wasn't. Yeah, had, had had that long touchdown run that essentially ended the game. Yeah, it was close there for a bit. It was like third and fifteen, and ran for a touchdown, and that was it. 
but he has number one eight, start. Number eight on the list, Devin Leary, the transfer from NC State. Leary's to disrespected the on this Kentucky. too. Leary's got multiple years of starts, not in the SEC, but in the and ACC. Good play. And, good play, and good numbers. Good play. And he's behind a guy with one start and a guy with no starts. Help me, please. Uh, number nine, A.J. Swan, Vanderbilt. A.J. Swan at Vanderbilt. It's two spots ahead. Dip, 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 dip. Don't, don't jump ahead. Don't jump ahead. Number 10, Connor Wiegman at Texas A&M. By the way, I think he's going to be good. Looks like he's got potential. Let's Wait, see it first. Sorry. Yeah, I'm with you. Number 11, a guy that actually played, started games at multiple schools and put up pretty good numbers, Jackson Dart. 11th best quarterback in the SEC post-spring ranking. Behind two guys that might not even be the quarterback. Right. Who have a I combined one start. Carson Beck likely is the quarterback at Georgia. Feels like it. I think Jalen Milrow is not at Alabama. I don't know how you put Jackson Dart behind Swan. I don't know how you put him behind Wegman, although if you want to just do it like on natural ability, I guess. And then the last three on the list, Brady Cook at Missouri, Robbie Ashford at Auburn, poor Graham Mertz at Florida. He's not going to be the guy at Florida. Also, it was um, it was reported today that by the way, somebody said they missed one and two on the list. K.J. Jefferson, one at Arkansas. Jaden Daniels, two at LSU. we got no issue with that. Totally fine. Uh, it was reported earlier that Alabama, and I love how it's reported now, that if a, if an elite-level quarterback hits the portal, Alabama's going to go after him. Um, that means Alabama's back channel illegally recruiting a quarterback and trying to get him to hit the portal. I would love to know who that is, though. Hmm. Aren't they in love with Ty Simpson? We'll be back. That's your college football fix. It's time to get real. Real sports talk for Mississippi. It's time for you to get real with it. Sports talk Mississippi continues on Super Talk Mississippi. Illustrated's Foundation site for Tennessee, written by Evan Kroll. He writes, there have been and will continue to be some murmurs about Tennessee, uh, around Tennessee about freshman quarterback Nico Ayamalieva pushing Joe Milton III for the starting job. Ayamalieva uh, delivered a strong outing in the spring game, but Milton showed enough to prove that he should continue getting starting reps. Not so much about stats, but the product looked different. Getting the ball out of his hands quickly, Flashing anticipation required to play quarterback in a consistent offense. He has struggled to throw outside the numbers on timing routes, particularly against Clemson and the Orange Bowl. It's tough to dispel bad habits, and there was a slight lingering in Milton's motion during the scrimmage, but the improvement was noticeable enough to believe that he should have the issue ironed out by the time the regular season rolls around. Yet the athletic ability with Joe Milton the third is staggering he's huge do, too do, do you know how i mean you've heard what people have said about anthony richardson 
yeah. and his ability, athletic ability. And you got some people that are going, you know, he's actually a little farther along than, than he's getting credit for. We'll see. But we'll see what it looks like. But um, do you know how much people are going to drool over Joe Milton the third at the combine next year? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and the thing is, his team's going to be better. At least I think they are. I mean, for all joking aside about how he hasn't played much, and when he played, he was bad. I expect Tennessee to win. The offense is fun. Uh, yeah, the, the, the downside to Hendon Hooker that I've read is often you know, he's got the ability to fit it into tight windows. But so often in that offense, he was throwing it to wide-open guys because Josh Heupel is just a magician at getting people open, and they had quality receivers. And uh, the, the fear is while he's shown the ability to throw into those tight windows in the NFL, it's almost every throw. Guys that are covered in college are open in the NFL, and and can he do that consistently? I read as a a question about him at the next level because Tennessee just was in such a way where he didn't have to. So I expect them to win a good bit. Richardson's getting all this hype despite stinking out loud. I mean, he did lose to Vanderbilt. He did. He did. And he was awful that day. It was because he was inconsistent. He does he doesn't have a ton of game reps. Mm-mm. Just doesn't. Here's Peter Schrager from NFL Network, NFL.com's mock draft. He's got Bryce Young at one to Carolina. Indianapolis trading up for the second pick to get C.J. Stroud out of Ohio State. Arizona at three taking Will Anderson, which, by the way, makes a whole lot more sense to me than taking a quarterback when you got Kyler Murray and you're paying him a bunch of money. Tyree Wilson, the edge rusher from Texas Tech, going to the Texans at number four. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, so th- th- there's a lot of talk going into this draft about teams at- trading back. Chicago already did yeah. it. Yeah. I would say that, that that's the important thing to point out here. That would require Texas trading down and then having another pick later in the first round. Go I mean, ahead. I mean, maybe Arizona trades back. Maybe. They just gave Kyler a bunch of money. You've got quarterback-desperate teams out there. If somebody has their guy, and, and let's pretend that you know somebody really loves Anthony Richardson. Well, if you're Arizona, two quarterbacks already off the board. Do you want Anthony Richardson or not? So if you're looking at... I don't think Detroit would do this, but if you're looking at Detroit, Vegas, you say, hey, you want him? Come get him. Give me two first-round picks. And somebody would do that. Seattle taking Anthony Richardson at five, and here's what Peter Schrager writes. The Seahawks love Geno Smith, and there's no doubt he's the guy in 2023, but with two picks in the top 20, they can go with a quarterback here. After all, they surely don't plan on picking in the top five again anytime soon. If another QB-needy team doesn't leapfrog them, the Hawks can secure a signal caller for the future. Seattle has time to get the uh, get Richardson in the room with coordinator Shane Waldron so that he can learn the offense. See, that does make sense. Mm-hmm. Taking him at five still seems high considering, but if well, you know you're going to need going one. to get a quarterback for the future, you can't wait much past that. Right. Because somebody will take him. And if you know you're 10. going to need one, and they're going to need one, there's a, it seems like there's a shelf life with Geno. Love what he's doing, but you don't you don't expect him to give you ten years of good quarterbacking. So you need mm-hmm. a quarterback, and you don't have to play him right away. He can get all the preseason games. 
He can do all the OTAs and stuff and then hold a clipboard and learn. There's, there's some benefit there. Quick pause for a question from Bo in Starkville on the ceasefire text line. What are the chances of college football ending up with a draft at some point? Zero. Zero until 30 to 40 teams break off, form a Super League, and they pay the players as employees. Yeah. In which case, then you could be looking at something like a draft. When the concept of student-athlete is over, because you cannot force somebody to go to a specific college. Yep. Yep. Once it becomes a professional league, then there will be a draft. Until then, not so much. And the players would have to make themselves available for the draft because there would be other options for them to play at a school of their choosing that it would not be part of this semi-pro college league thing, theoretically. But until we get to that boat, no chance of a draft in college football. Uh, Detroit at number six, taking Jalen Carter out of Georgia. Detroit might soon be good. Mm-hmm. They're already fun. Can, can you imagine Aiden Hutchinson and Jalen Carter on the same defensive line? Ooh. Raiders going with the offensive tackle. Peter Skaronsky out of Northwestern at seven. Falcons going Nolan Smith out of Georgia at eight. An edge rusher. Bears going Christian Gonzalez, corner from Oregon at nine. This one is intriguing to me. At 10, Philadelphia, with the pick that they got from New Orleans, taking Bijan Robinson, the running back out of Texas. They can stretch. Uh, Philly can because the, the, yeah, you, you, good. The, the two Mississippi guys that w- were up against uh, the end of their deals. The thing with Philly was after they lost the Super Bowl was they're going to lose a lot of guys from that roster. You've got a bunch of dudes up at the end of their contracts or they're mm-hmm. going to have to pay a bunch of guys and there is a salary cap so they can't. But Fletcher Cox took a really team-friendly deal. Mm-hmm. It, things like that are happening for Philly, so the roster's remaining largely intact so they can go stretch for a running back. And, buddy, if Bijan Mustard is, is good, then that's a team that can go right back to the Super Bowl. I read a story today that called Bijan Robinson a generational player in the wrong generation. Hmm. thought that's that was well put. put. Uh, Schrager writes this, I know the Eagles haven't drafted a running back in the first round since the 80s. I also know there aren't many elite players in this class. Robinson is one, pure and simple. Titans taking Hendon Hooker at 11. Houston, with their second first-round pick, taking Will Levis at 12. Hooker at 11. After, remember, they drafted everybody's favorite Liberty quarterback last year. Yeah, and in the fifth round. And Ryan Tannehill still exists. Mm-hmm. So going back-to-back years drafting a quarterback, doesn't that tell you a lot about how they view Ryan Tannehill? Yeah. Well, and Tannehill's getting older. He's been at it for a while. And and he's not a Super Bowl – he's not a get-you-to-a-Super to Bowl quarterback. This is by he's far good. the highest I've seen Hendon Hooker in, any, in anything. And I know that's not why they do this, but because you imagine the the merchandise sales of Hendon Hooker jerseys and jerseys and and all that stuff, the the former Tennessee Vol that brought them back to relevance and beat Alabama playing in Nashville. Yeah. Broderick Jones, the offensive lineman, going to the Jets at thirteen. Devin Witherspoon, corner from Illinois, to, at fourteen to uh, to uh, New England. Jackson Smith and Jigba, 
the wide receiver from Ohio State going to Green Bay. Wouldn't that be something if uh, Green Bay finally went out and got a high-level skill position player on the offensive side with Aaron Rodgers on his way out of Green Bay? You know how mad that would make him? (laughs) That trade still hasn't happened yet. And trades don't usually happen at this point until after the draft anyway, but still hadn't happened. Uh, Dalton Kincaid, the tight end from Utah to the Commanders at 16 with their new ownership group. Uh, Just trying to see if anybody pops off here. Jordan Addison, the wide receiver that transferred from Pittsburgh to USC a year ago at 23 to the Vikings. Zay Flowers, the wide receiver from Boston College to the Giants at 25. Cowboys going Jameer Gibbs, running back, Georgia Tech, then Alabama at 26. If uh, the Eagles don't take a flyer on Bijan, if Bijan's available there at 26, how fast do you think Jerry's going to pick up the phone? Quickly. At 29, the New Orleans Saints, Jonathan Mingo, wide receiver, Ole Miss. We're up against that break, but uh, people are loving Mingo. Apparently Mm -hmm. he's testing and interviewing extremely well. I don't think wide receiver is priority one, though, for the Saints. I don't 6'2", think that's the most important thing. Four four six forty at the combine, thirty nine and a half inch vertical, twenty two reps at two twenty five. Not as polished as some other wide receivers, and not every scout is a fan, but many in the coaching community seem to love him. New Orleans late in round one feels right. Writes Peter Schrager, and the uh, wide receiver from TCU, Quentin Johnson, to Kansas City at thirty one. We'll be back. More Sports Talk Mississippi now. Now. Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. Thank you for being with us on this Thursday afternoon. Ceasefire text line is open to you at 601-879-4395. Other than Peter Schrager, have you heard much about Mingo to the Saints? No, only because I think that... They do need wide receiver help. But if Thomas truly is healthy, you have at least a decent group of receivers. Especially with Olave. I mean, Olave was phenomenal last year with on a team with horrible quarterback play. And he was phenomenal. So you don't need that. You need a defensive end. Davenport's gone. They made the right decision by letting him go. Uh, Marcus Davenport had a half a sack more than we did last year. So, you know, paying him anything would have been a stupid decision. But now, I mean, you got no pass rush. They signed a couple of defensive tackles, which helps. Uh, it seems like they've solidified that. But, but to me, pass rush and linebacker is more important than wide receiver. Because you've got Pete Werner and Demario Davis at linebacker, and then Zach Bond? Oh, no. You've got Cam Jordan at defensive end who's aging, and then a lot of rotational guys that are largely unproven. 
I hope they don't go wide receiver first round, only because I don't think that's what they need the most of. We'll see. And Alvin Kamara might spend time in jail. So they're going to need. They did sign a running back though, which helps. But they need another one because Mark Ingram is very much old. Yeah. He's just banged up, and that position does not lead to longevity. So they need running back help, too, at some point. Join Middays with Gerard Gibbert live in Pike County tomorrow as we get ready for the 12th annual Smoking on the Tracks Barbecue Cook-Off in Summit. There'll be great food, live music, a car show, and more. It's Smoking on the Tracks, and it's brought to you by Lot Furniture in Macomb, Ag Up, and Southwest Distributors. Hey, and... If you've never given this any thought, you might want to do so. If you own or run a small business, can customers find your business online? With the power of this Supertalk Mississippi Media digital team, you can reach potential customers and get more referral and repeat business. STMM Digital's highly trained and trusted staff is ready to work with you to help your business capitalize on the power of digital marketing. Whether you're talking about targeted advertising, geofencing, Unique ways to reach your customers. You can call 601-991-2305 or go to stmmdigital.com to get started. That applies to you. Check it out. No Emmanuel Forbes in that first-round mock from Peter Schrager. Yes, yeah, some have them, some don't. Th- there is you? no uh, size. If he does not go in the first round, the reason you can point to is size. He will be nine pounds smaller than the smallest defensive back in the NFL. Mm. Think about that. Nine pounds smaller than the smallest. So if he does fall out of the first, now some people think he's still going to go, and the, the ability is there, but you know, this idea that, oh, well, it doesn't matter if you can cover... Well, it, it does in the NFL. Your wide receivers are built like linebackers, man. I mean, it's to say that his weight is not going to turn off people, I think, is just wrong. It will some, not others, but it will some. Every team operates differently. We'll, I'm sure we'll talk to John Harris next week and he'll tell us. It's the same thing with the opting out of bowl games. Some teams could not care less, others view that as quitting. And and mark guys off because of that. So there's a chance he still goes in the first, but if he doesn't, it's it's size. It's they they fear that when he's got to line up across, to use a local example, AJ Brown, who's big and physical. They wonder if if he'd be able to handle that. Another local example: DK Metcalf. I mean, uh, line up 170 sure. across from DK Metcalf. And it's it's not the same, but you've also got multiple years of watching this guy play in the best college football conference in the country. Yeah, and not just holding his own, but excelling, locking down the best receiver mm-hmm. of the best team in America. Was. Yeah, I wanted to go back to. Somebody was asking earlier in the show today about home runs being up in college baseball. Listen to some of these individual numbers from the SEC. Jack Caglione leads the SEC in home runs with 22. 
He's the sophomore first baseman slash DH slash pitcher for Florida. Ethan Petrie, a true freshman at South Carolina, is second in the SEC with 18. Charlie Condon, a redshirt freshman, is tied for third in the SEC with 17. Hunter Hines also has 17. Gavin Casas at South Carolina has 16. Bryson Ware at Auburn, recognize that name? Played at Germantown in Madison, then Pearl River Community College, and um, has had a huge step up at Auburn. His best season by a lot. Tied with Bryson Ware at 6 with 15 home runs. Kemp Alderman from Ole Miss. Josh Rivera at Florida's got 14. Tommy White at LSU leads the SEC and runs batted in with 62. And he's got 12 home runs. And you got a bunch of other guys in double digits. They're like 25 guys in the SEC with 10 home runs or more. And we're only like at the halfway it. point of league play. Borky, I don't know if you. I don't. I don't oh, by don't the way, uh, Germantown's not in Madison anymore. Oh, really? Gluckstadt is now officially a town. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. They got their their township or whatever. There we go. Uh, Semi recently. Good so, to know. Yeah. Germantown High School. For whatever. In that's Madison worth County. Too. Yeah. I just I, I like the fun fact of that area became a town recently. Is your SEC Baseball Freshman of the Year at the halfway point of league play? Charlie Condon from Georgia or Ethan Petrie from South Carolina? Am I asking you a question that you are not equipped to answer? I'm not. I mean, I could BS my way through it. I've done that before. You probably, if you don't follow SEC Baseball across the entire league closely, really know who Charlie Condon is. He was an under-recruited, nearly not-recruited, late addition to Georgia's class a year ago. It's like 6'5", 165 when he got on campus. He redshirted. They sent him off to the Northwoods League before the season even ended. He got 300 at-bats. Here are Charlie Condon's numbers. Freshman. Slugging 902. That's best in the SEC. Second-best batting average in the league at 444. He has an on-base percentage of 537. That's third best in the SEC. He has the second most hits in the SEC with 59. He has the fourth most runs batted in at 53. He is tied for third with 17 home runs. He's been great. But Ethan Petrie, who I was telling you about just a second ago, he's third in the SEC in batting average. Third in the SEC in slugging percentage, true freshman, Ethan Petrie. It's incredible. He has 56 hits, which is tied for fifth. He has 56 runs batted in, which is third all by himself. And he's second all by himself with 18 home runs. I have no idea how you pick an SEC freshman of the year from those two guys. The better team. Kind of how those go sometimes. I mean, I guess. Imagine the poor high school pitchers that had to see those guys last year. That that's what anytime a freshman does well, that's the first thing I think about is that dude was on a high school field a few months ago. Poor poor little sixteen year old 
just learning how to throw a changeup. He's got like a 78 mile an hour fastball, and he he works really hard. And, and mom, after practice, makes him study because she knows that he's gonna have to. And then he's got to throw that 78 mile an hour fastball to one of these guys. It's not fun. I get this message. What you're saying describes good seasons, and we're only halfway through conference play. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody also says maybe home runs are up because pitching is down, way down in my opinion, other than the top two to three arms. That's an interesting debate, actually. Yes, I think pitching is down a touch in the SEC this year. But I don't know if we've made enough about the change to the strike zone. Much tighter. Pitchers are not getting pitches off the outside edge in or out. And they talk about calling the higher strike, but there aren't any strikes that are being called above the belt. You're getting strikes that are called at the belt, but not really above the belt. Pitchers are having to throw it into a thimble this year to get called strikes. The ball's wound tighter, the bats look hot to me, and you've got guys that can really swing it. We'll be back. Exciting news. Brace yourself. More Sports Talk Mississippi. Now. Now. Our text line. Somebody said, um, you're right about the zone. Walks are way up. A tighter zone equals more hitters counts. They call them hitters counts for a reason. I'm going to tighter strike zone in college baseball this year. Um, what do we... What, what, um, Sorry, I'm trying to catch up on a string of text messages that you were involved in. I'm not going to dive off into that today. The are we doing the, the transgender conversation? Is that what that was about? It was an individual asking us if the SEC has declared a ban on any postseason events in a state that writes and signs a bill into law forcing biological men to play on men's teams and biological women to play on women's teams with no exception. Hmm. And I guess I'm wrong, but I replied and said the SEC has made no such declaration. To my knowledge, they have not. Hmm. They did about the flag. Yeah, and like there, somebody said something about the ACC pulling a championship out of North Carolina. I mean, there was the bathroom bill stuff from years ago, a few years ago, and that I I would not I'm not educated enough, or at least don't remember enough about how all of that went down to speak openly on it. And I don't think it's an issue for hosting postseason events right now in Mississippi. So, um. We're not going down the transgender road today. We've only got like five minutes left, four minutes left. I, I just, I don't have that in me today. 
But if you want a how do you feel about it, I'll give you a how I feel about it. I think you should compete in the support, like in the arena for which you are biologically made. I don't think guys that change themselves to gals should be competing against biological gals in sports. It's an unfair advantage. And anybody arguing to the contrary is they've got an agenda. Because biologically they're different. I don't know. I mean, I don't think that's like groundbreaking. (laughs) You're probably not surprised to hear me say that. That there's, there's a reason that they were divided. Mm Mm-hmm. There, there's, look at the Olympic swimming. Look at the records between the two. Why is there such a discrepancy? It's not the patriarchy. Why in in basketball are the teams for the men significantly taller than the women? The highest level of basketball, men are taller. Why is the ball smaller for one than the other? Why is the three point yeah. line closer? Yeah. Why do why do women's golfers play from tees that are further up? Why are women's tennis matches shorter than men's tennis matches? It is the answer is not the patriarchy. It's because that's it's, the, the correct way to do it. It's, it's physical differences, period. No other way around it. I mean, they're, they're, the men are different from women. Women are different from men. I mean, like, I could really get myself in trouble, Borky, and be like, men can't have children. But in, you know, I, I've actually women had this can. conversation with people. Uh, Biologically. Because... I was talking to somebody about how Brown has has a, a girl on their baseball team. I think it's Brown, and and she's gotten very limited playing time. But she's like, so there's a women's baseball league. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, she's like one of the best women female baseball players in the country, okay. and, and plays for Brown and got in that bat, grounded out. And a friend was asking me, they're like, why do they let her play? And I said, I don't know about that individual case. I don't know if it was a publicity center or whatever. I don't know about that case, but. It is because he asked you, he's like, why is it not a double standard? I said, if a, if a woman can, on yeah. merit, compete with men, she should be allowed to. If that opportunity is based on merit. Because she was born with a physical disadvantage, generally speaking, to her male counterpart. So if a female golfer is good enough to play on the PGA Tour, by all means, play. If you can compete and you earn your spot, Absolutely. I, I completely agree with you on this. If there is a, a female athlete who is physically gifted and talented enough to be able to compete on an equal playing field with men, I, I have no problem with a female athlete being part of a man's sport, sports league. But allowing men to compete in women's sports league, is it's wrong. Because there is a physical difference between a male and a female, genetically, biologically, physically, that makes it an unfair playing competition. How do we get there at the end of the show today? We were asked about it, that's how. Yeah, okay. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for uh, getting there. CC and Cenotopia, thanks for simply saying that out loud. People are getting too scared to say anything at all. It's appalling what's happening with this stuff. Yeah, I know. Okay. All right. That's how we will end things on this Thursday afternoon with you, Sports Talk Mississippi in the Pearl River Resort Studio. We'll do it again tomorrow, getting you set for a college baseball weekend and a whole lot more. For Michael Borky, I'm Richard Cross. Have a great Thursday night. 
Are you a business owner looking for help with HR benefits and payroll? MWG Employer Services offers a wide range of services and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. I was so overwhelmed with HR stuff. MWG Employer Services took all the stress out of it and even set up my payroll. I couldn't be happier. MWG Employer Services is here to help you succeed. Call us today at 601-206-7966 or go to mwgemployerservices.com. A Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.